Mark chapter 4, and this is going to be a short passage today compared to what we've been doing. So I've been reading these long passages, and today we're just focused on a small passage, and the timing is providential as there's a great storm uh, on the East Coast, North Carolina, South Carolina. We're praying for them today. Amen. And what we're about to read about is a great storm in the disciples' lives. So Mark chapter 4, verse 35, let's read about this storm. It says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him, uh, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Amen. You may be seated this morning. Well, going through Mark, we've been focusing on kind of the topic of discipleship. And, you know, the the word disciple originally, all the way back in New Testament time, it really meant like pupil or student. It was kind of a very common word to describe somebody who was learning from another teacher and they would be a disciple. And what happens is kind of exciting. Christianity kind of hijacked this word and utterly transformed it. And and so what it means in terms of a Christian is when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you become a student. But even more than that, the whole course of your life is moving in the direction of the person and the works and the words of Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple is. Like my whole life is moving in the direction of who Jesus is, of what he's done, and of what he has said. I am basing my life on my identity in Jesus Christ. I am a disciple. I am a follower of Jesus. And one of the things I I know you probably some of you are getting sick of this, but I really want to emphasize that discipleship is not about perfection. It's about direction. That this side of heaven, that that we will never perfect our discipleship, but God always gives us one more step of growth, one more step closer to Jesus, one more step closer to the words of Jesus, one more step closer to, to walking in a gospel worldview of his death, burial, and resurrection. And so that's discipleship. Now today, we cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ in this world until we learn to deal with adversity and suffering and storms in our life. We have to have a theology of suffering. We have to have a theology of adversity. If we're going to move in the direction of discipleship, then, then you and I have to be well aware that we live in a fallen world, and you and I are fallen people, imperfect and flawed, And therefore, we are going to walk in the storms of life. There are going to be winds. There are going to be floods. 
And the question is, are we able to walk through the storm with our faith intact? No, more than that, with a growing knowledge of our faith because of the storm. Jesus wants his disciples not to be wearing rose-colored glasses. He wants them to be able to walk in a world of tribulation, persecution, and furthermore, Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wants the church in Rome, in the midst of persecution, to be able to walk through the storms and adversity of life without losing their faith. Today, I really want to just stop and just say, man, we are really praying for those who are going through the hurricane. I mean, a terrible thing. And, and it's good for us as a church just to say, Lord, bless them. Keep people safe. Limit casualties. Restore those communities quickly. And may, may the church in those areas really come to, and the churches around there, and, the, and churches around the country really come to help um, these people going through this storm. But I, I did some research this week, and, and one of the things I found out is that, that most Americans, they fear tornadoes and they fear earthquakes more than hurricanes. And yet hurricanes cause the most casualties out of all the natural disasters. So hurricanes are the most dangerous, but Americans are more afraid of tornadoes and earthquakes. And the problem with hurricanes is not necessarily the wind. I mean, the wind does damage, the wind does take lives, but the biggest problem with hurricanes is the aftermath. It's the flooding, it's the storm surges, it's the, it's the overwhelming kind of flooding that happens. And you know, when we look at this passage, that's the problem that happens to the disciples. It's not the initial wind, it's the flooding of the boat. It says that the boat began to fill up and they looked at the water as it's filling up their boat and, and they began to get fearful. And that's when they wake up Jesus and they say, do you not care that we are perishing? What I didn't understand about this passage for the longest time is verses 40 and 41. I think these are critical to understanding how we as disciples can walk through storms. Jesus says in verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now this is the part where I get really confused. Verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So I was confused about that because they're scared of the storm. Jesus calms the storm. Then they're more scared in verse 41 than they were before the storm even started. You see that? Verse 41, they were filled with great fear. And I thought, that's really interesting because Jesus says, why are you so afraid? And then they get more, fra- uh, more fearful. But then I did a word study, and my word study revealed this, that there's two different words being used in verses 40 and 41. There's a Greek word that's being used in verse 40 for afraid. It's called delos. And this word delos means to lose courage. It means to be timid. It means to lose confidence. This word delos is used in passages like this one. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity but of power and of love and of self-control. 
That word timidity is delos, same word that Jesus used. Why are you timid? Why are you losing courage? Why are you losing confidence? Now, in verse 41, it says they're filled with great fear. That comes from the, the Greek word phobos or noun phobia. And that really means to reverence or to be in awe of. It's a completely different word than verse 40. Completely different. And I thought, man, that is really insightful. Because what Jesus is What Jesus is confronting the disciples about and what you and I are being confronted about is not the fact that we don't like storms. Jesus isn't like mad that they woke him up or that they don't like the windstorm or they don't like the hurricane or they don't like the fact that their life has problems or sicknesses or financial issues or or whatever your storm might be. The the issue with Jesus isn't the fact that we don't like storms. The issue is, is that we lose confidence in the storm. The issue is that we lose courage. The issue is that we become timid in our worldview about God's ability to work in the midst of the storm. Jesus would be okay if they came and woke him up and said, hey, I believe you can do something with this. But they're coming to him saying, you don't care about us. God has abandoned us. God is gone. That's what we have to work on today. We're not working on trying to get all happy about the storm. We're trying to work on when the storm comes, do we grow in courage with God? Or do we fall back into timidity? Because God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-control. It's an interesting thing because we come back to the Christian gospel. Listen, the Christian gospel is not concerned with what you have. The Christian gospel is not about making all things work out for you. The Christian gospel is about working inside of you. Jesus came to change your heart. Jesus came to give you a new mind, a new worldview, a new way of walking through a dangerous world. Jesus came to give us courage in the storm. That's what discipleship is. And what is it, exactly is it that he does to help us to not lose courage in the midst of adversity? What is it that he reveals in this whole sovereign providential plan that's happening here on the, on the Sea of Galilee? And I really believe that the, that the key thing for us to learn is that as disciples, we need to rest in the promises of God to find courage for the problems of life. We need to rest in the promises of God to find courage for the, for the problems of life. And you say, that, what does that mean? What's that mean to rest in the promises of God? Well, it really means to, to hear from God's word and to walk in the promises of scripture as you read them, to find them and to rest in those promises. I was really excited that that was kind of, kind of what I was deriving from the text as we kind of ended last week talking about resting in the promises of God, like that farmer that went to bed every night despite the lack of heart. Every day he'd get up and there wasn't anything there. He'd still go to sleep. He didn't lose sleep. Here's the thing. God tells us that what we are to do is to rest, kind of like Jesus in the boat. Can I get an amen? 
See, while they're freaking out, what's he doing? He's sleeping because he's not only fully God, but he's fully man. And he's trusting in his father. He's resting in his father's plan. And so like Jesus, we want to rest in the promises of God so we can find courage for the problems of life. You say, I need courage. I lose confidence when things go bad, when things don't go my way. Not only do I lose confidence, I lose confidence in God. How do I fix that, preacher? What are you going to bring down my street to help me deal with my lack of courage? What are you going to give to me, preacher, to help me walk, not in a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, self-control? I'm telling you, rest in the promises of God. Hear the promises of God, believe the promises of God, accept the promises of God, and rest in them. Now, if you do that, you say, oh, that's good. That's, that's good preaching. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that this week. I'm going to do that next month. I'm going to do that for the rest of the year. I'm going to make it my New Year's resolution going into 2019. This is what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to find as you begin to go through Scripture. You're going to find that the promises of God fall into a few categories that are represented in this storm. You're going to find out that all of the promises of God, especially dealing with the storms and adversity of your life, are going to tell you the same things over and over again from Genesis to Revelation. And what are those promises going to tell you? Three things I'm going to alliterate for the second week in a row. If I do it next week, fire me. Can I get an amen? I'm serious. This is becoming a problem. It's, a, it's kind of a, a preacher's tick. We start getting in this rhythm of alliterating everything, and it can get bad. So this has got to be the last week. <clears throat> can I get an amen? All P words. Hallelujah. Praise God. <clears throat> but here's the thing. When you start finding promises that deal with your storms, they're going to tell you three things. First of all, they're going to tell you that God has power over the storm. And you and I have to stop long enough even in the greatest pain of our life, and I know it's hard, and there might be somebody here, this sounds totally insensitive, and if I were pastoring you in my office, or if we were just sitting down talking, I wouldn't be as bold, I might be a little bit more sensitive, but as a preacher and a proclaimer, here's what we got to say at church, God has power over the storm. God is sovereign over the storm. And when you and I are surprised, God is not. Now, one of the most sudden surprising things that can happen to you on the, on the Sea of Galilee is a storm. It's famous. It's famous all over the world. It's famous for how quickly this, a wind can come and bring about a storm out of nowhere. And these guys were totally surprised. There was no meteorologist that told them it was coming. There was no news 24 hours telling them it was coming. They, they couldn't pencil it in. In fact, there was no awareness or even signs of a storm. We know that because in verse 36 it says... And other boats were with him. So Jesus gets in the boat. Shh, shh, shh. They start rowing. Maybe it wasn't like that. Sales. Anyways, they get in the boat and everybody's like, he's getting into the boat. And they all get in their boats and they start following him. Why? Because nobody saw the storm coming. And those are the worst storms, are they not? Those are the worst adversities. The ones you don't see coming. 
and it sweeps up on you like this random, arbitrary, meaningless, by luck, by bad luck, by bad chance, this kind of random, meaningless thing. It's what makes people nihilist, man. I mean, it, it suddenly feels like life is meaningless. It's just random. And, and one guy gets dropped down, and, and I don't, or I get dropped, and the other guy makes it through. I mean, life seems random and sudden. And here's what Scripture says. God's in control. God's not surprised. God's not surprised. I can remember hearing on Thanksgiving Day that my brother had died. It was like this surge. It wasn't just wind. It was a flood. And the waters were rising right there in my living room. I physically dropped to the ground. I was shocked. And it was like the Holy Spirit just quietly, God's not surprised. God's not surprised. You're like, well, that doesn't make me feel better. Well, you know what? Here's the deal. I mean, and it come, this comes with miracles as well. It's all about your presuppositions in life. You know, it's about the foundation of what you believe. Because if, if you don't believe there's a God or you don't believe God's in control, well, obviously you're not going to believe in a miracle like this. You're not going to believe that Jesus came and stopped the storm and has control over weather patterns and, 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 and that, that, that all this is happening. So, so you're already at, in a place of, of kind of being back from faith. Because, because if you don't believe and have a presupposition of a sovereign God, then, then everything is going to be random. And, and yet if... If God's working in your life, he's showing you that he's, he is in control. That he does do miracles. That he can become a human being. That he can come save us. That he can be born of a virgin. That he can be filled with the Holy Spirit. That he can die, be buried, and, and defeat death. And, and the moment your presupposition becomes of this holy, sovereign God who is also good, then suddenly it becomes like a comforting thing. Even if it doesn't take away the pain, it becomes a comforting ballast in our life, an anchor in the storm because we say, God is in control. And I might not like what he's doing, but I know he is good. And he is not surprised, in fact, this storm is a part of his design. This is his will. This is his will. He didn't just see it coming. He ordained it. There's some great passages that talk about the sovereign power of God <laughs> over life. You know, you, you get there's one passage in Psalm 107 that I thought of all week as I was studying this passage. Psalm 107, verse 23. The psalmist says, Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep, for He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven. They went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. 
Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders, the very thing we're doing right now. Let us praise this God, not only over the storm, of the storm, of it. Proverbs 30, verse 40 says, Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is his son's name? Surely you know. We certainly do know. His name is Jesus. God is sovereign. God had a design. God God is powerful over this storm. And and part of finding courage as disciples is resting in these promises. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. God is working all things. Everybody say all things. All things out. Not some things. Not just the good things. But all things. God is powerful. You stand on that promise. You say, you know what? I hate this storm. I'm surprised by this storm. I didn't have it penciled in. And I didn't have a budget for this storm. Can I get a hallelujah? You know, I didn't mean to make you hell anyways. But here's the thing. The moment I stop and say, God's powerful over it. That gives me courage. I might still be crying. I might still hate it, but I will find courage. I will not lose confidence. In fact, I will grow in confidence. My God is powerful over all this, and God is powerful in this. God is in control of the storm. So important. You know, practically, it leads to to one of the most important human decisions that we make in life, especially in this world, and that is the decision of acceptance. That's the most powerful. It is the most simple thing we do is to accept. I accept what is, and yet it's the most difficult step to take in our life. But when you begin to walk in the promises that God is powerful and sovereign, you begin to accept what is. You stop asking about what if. What if this wasn't happening? What if this never would have happened? What if they wouldn't have ever said that? What if they would have never done that? We move from the what if to the what now. Okay, God, you're in control. What do I do now? If you're in control and this storm is by your plan and design, what do you want me to do now? How do I move forward? I'm going to stop looking back. I'm going to start looking ahead because my God is the power over the storm and in the storm. That's what the promises of God will tell you. Now, of course, I mean, if we left it there, it would still feel a little empty because it's still, well, God's sovereign. He's all powerful and he's in control. And I got a lot of questions about that. But if I were to accept that, it still feels arbitrary. I mean, what is what is the basis of his wisdom for bringing storms and problems? I mean, if this God is is bringing and allowing and even ordaining storms in my life, I mean, what, what in the world could possibly be the foundation of his wisdom for that. And that moves us to the second point. Now listen, all promises are going to tell you this about storms. They're all going to tell you that God has a plan for your growth in the storm. There's a plan. And the plan is for your growth in the storm. 
God brought these disciples through this most terrifying storm where the flood is coming and the boat's being filled up and they're freaking out. They're losing all courage. They're becoming cowards. God allowed this so that Jesus could give them a lesson. He had a plan for their growth. He had a plan for their growth. The plan was so that Jesus could say, why are you so afraid? Have you still, I love the fact he says, have you still have no faith? I mean, you've just seen a withered hand healed. You've seen paralyzed people walk. You've seen demons get kicked out. You've seen all these things happen and, and a storm comes up and a little bit of flooding and you suddenly lose courage and then you say, I don't care about you, that I have, have no concern for you, that like, like, like I don't like you, that God doesn't like you. And there was a plan. God's plan for you and I as we go through our storms and adversity is for our growth. Man, I just, I mean, maybe it's me. I don't know. Maybe I'm disqualified. But I don't grow much when things are going well. How about you? I tend to take credit for things when they go good. And then I go running to God and complaining to God when things go bad. Storms, what I, what I hate about storms is that they reveal. Whatever is on the inside of my heart, whatever is in my head that I'm able to conceal in good times, it's the storms that bring out the real story. If there's anger, and then also good things come out of me as well that I didn't know I had. I didn't know I had some, some of these gifts because a storm comes and it, it squeezes out of me the real story, the real faith, the, the real belief. The storm starts revealing things, and frankly, I don't want to see myself as I really am. I like the fake me. How about you, right? And you know what God's plan is? God wants you to know exactly where you're at, not because he's pushing you down, but because he has a plan to help you get up, to help you to grow, to help you to go higher places. And God does not exist to indulge us, but to enlarge us. God does not exist to entertain us, but to transform us, to enlighten us. And when God sovereignly allows us to go through storms, it is not for our harm, it's for our good. It is not so that we can be destroyed, but so that we can be saved. It is not so that we can fall back into immaturity, but so that we can grow in maturity. And we can be weathered believers walking in a world that frankly needs weathered believers and not pampered saints. This world does not need pampered people. This world needs weathered people, stormed people, people who have lines on their faces because they've gone through some stuff and they've seen God on the other side and they can minister to this world and they can be light in darkness and they can go into a fallen world where everybody says, how can God do all this and say, I don't understand everything, but my God came into this world, took the storm of the cross, defeated death and he's worked in my life and he's brought healing and I want to comfort you. God's got a plan. And one day the kingdom will come and we won't have to go through storms anymore. But until then, God's plan is for us to be weathered by storms, to walk by faith and say, God, what is your plan? 
The promises of God everywhere in Scripture will tell you that God's got a plan. And as you rest in those promises, you will find courage. You will find confidence. You will find the ability to get to the other side of the, of the sea. One of the passages, <laughs> this is one of my favorite passages. Y'all know I love when Israel, they're in the wilderness, and God says, okay, I want you to go in the promised land. And so they send out the spies. Y'all know about this story? And they send out the spies, and the spies go and look at the land. And, 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 the, and the spies look at the giants, and the, the report coming back to the assembly of Israel, Moses, is we can't do it because of the giants. And everybody's freaking out. And, of course, all of Israel, they're, they're all freaked out. And you know what they're freaked out about? They're kids. Have you ever read that? They're like, our children will die. Our kids, what will happen to our kids? I love that part because as a parent, I understand it, right? But there's this great line. It's a wonderful line, and I happen to fall on it this week. And it comes from Numbers uh, chapter 14, and it's Caleb's response. And Joshua and Caleb are like, no, man. What are you doing? Be strong and courageous. We can face these giants. We can face this thing because our God is bigger. And they start preaching, right? And here's what Caleb says. I love what Caleb says. I think it's really insightful. But he says in verse 9 of Numbers 14, he says, Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land. For they are bred. For us, their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. They are bred to us. You know what he's saying? (laughs) You know what he's saying? He's saying those giants are food, facing them nourishes us. If we go and face those giants like God wants us to, as difficult as it's going to be, because we're going to have to pull out some arrows. I don't know. Do they have arrows? I think they had arrows. We have to pull out some arrows. We have to pull out some spears. We're going to have to go into battle. There's going to be mud and blood and all kinds of difficult things are going to happen, but they're going to be food for us. And what we're, what's going to happen is we're going to learn something more about God. We're going to grow and be nourished on this plan of adversity. If you and I can face the giants and the adversity and the storms with faith and courage in God, the plan is for our growth, our enlargement. But if we back away now, which is what Israel did. Remember that? Israel like, let's stone him. They were literally going to stone Caleb. They were like, get a stone. He wants our kids to die. So they were going to get stones. And that's when God showed up. And then there was no stoning that day. Can I get an amen? God kind of said, no, you're not going to stone Caleb today. That's not going to happen. And what happened to the Israelites is they spent 40 years in the wilderness. A whole generation died. Because they refused They refused. God's plan is for our growth. And our life, our life, my life, your life, we need, as much as I hate to say it, we need adversity in order to become Christ-like. So, 
rest in the promises of God to find courage for the problems of life, not only will the promises tell you about the power of God and the, the plan of God for growth, but the final thing is, is that all of the promises of God, as it concerns storms and adversity, will tell you that God is present with you in the storm. The presence of God will give you courage. You are not alone. I am not alone. God is with us. And I turn now to really the real payoff of this passage, which is in verse 41. Look at it. Mark 4 and verse 41. Man, that's such a great verse. Oh, my gosh. Man, it's good. Verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And that great fear, I love that because what it's saying is, is that they've replaced their timidity with reverence and awe for Jesus Christ. That they are, they are now aware of at this, at least for the moment. I mean, for this, this moment right here, verse 41, they're filled with great fear. That word means reverence or awe or deep and profound, like scary respect for somebody. And they're like, wow. And they're so in awe of Jesus that it freaks them out a little bit, but not the kind of freak out that's in a bad way, but that's in a good way. Like there's kind of being freaked out kind of fear, like somebody stealing something or breaking into your house. There's that kind of terror. There's another kind of fear that's reverence and respect. Like you're in the presence of somebody that you so respect that you kind of shake a little bit in their presence. It's your, it's your favorite athlete or it's the, I don't know, the pop singer or it's the famous person and you just want to get their autograph but but you're 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 so you're so overwhelmed with awe that you're shaking and on an even deeper level this is what's happening to the disciples because what they realized my goodness almost fell what they realized don't try this at home this is really dangerous what they really realize is that God is in the boat Jesus is God he really is the son of God. And by the way, it takes the storm for them to experience that. They had kind of believed it before, but now they're experiencing Jesus is with us and he is God. And the presence of God, man, is the most powerful motivational force in a human being's life. In fact, what I really like about this passage is that it's making a declaration that reverence and awe for the presence of God in your life is far more powerful than the worst terror that you've ever had your whole life. Think about the worst moment of terror. When would that be? You can talk about that at your life groups. What was the greatest moment of fear in your life? Was it a lion coming at you in Africa? Were you on a ship and it started to feel like it was going to sink like the Titanic on a cruise? Was it, was it being in an airplane and, and you're, you're, you're kind of start bumping? How many of y'all heard that? You know, you, you start bumping and you're like, man, that does not feel good. Or you're at the very back of the plane and you can actually see the wobbling of the walls like this. Have y'all ever seen that? Freaked me out. I'm telling you, there are things that have been terrifying in our life, but I'm telling you, the reverence and the power of God's presence is a far greater power in a human being's life who has the presence of God in their life. 
and all of the promises of God will say that far greater than any terror is the worship and the love and the experiencing and the knowledge and the growing of knowledge of the presence of God in our life, especially in the storms, especially in that confined boat of pain, especially there you can experience it. And ultimately, what Jesus is doing here is he's showing why he came into the world. You know why Jesus came into the world? was so that he could get you and I back into the presence of God. So that we could be reconciled to God. Because the greatest problem in our life is not temporary problems. The greatest problem in our life is that we're separated from the life-giving God. And Jesus came to be buried in the storm. He came to be buried in the sea and the storm of God's wrath. And he came to come up out of that storm alive and to bring peace. And to say over our soul and our spirit and our mind and our life, you have peace with God. That storm of separation, that storm of coming judgment, that storm of coming wrath, I exist to say, be calm, be quiet. They now have peace with God because I have taken their penalty. Ultimately, this is a picture of the cross before the cross. That boat is the burial of Jesus. That storm is the wrath of God. Jesus standing up and saying, be quiet, and he rebukes the wind, is his resurrection. You see, ultimately, what this is about is practicing, living, receiving, enjoying, relishing, treasuring the presence of God in all circumstances. And when you do that, you will find courage. You will find courage. One of the other stories I thought about this week was the story of Jonah. I, I couldn't help it because it, it's so much like Jonah, Jonah 1, you know, the Jonah's running from God, man, he's, re he's rebelling, he's just running as fast as he can go. He's just like, I'm running from God. And he gets on that boat going in the opposite direction of where he's supposed to go. And it says that the Lord hurled a great windstorm on the sea. And while all of the sailors are freaking out, what's Jonah doing? He's sleeping. Just like Jesus was sleeping. He's sleeping in the belly of that boat while the storm is happening. They finally drag him up. And it's like, what's going on? And finally, he reveals that he's rebelled against God. They throw him overboard. He goes into a fish. Here we have a storm. God hurls the storm. And Jesus is sleeping in the boat just like Jonah. And what's interesting is that Jesus kept comparing his ultimate work to the work of Jonah. He said, just like Jonah was buried for three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be buried for three days and three nights and come back to life. Jesus loved to compare himself to Jonah. But why would Jesus compare himself to the rebellious Jonah by sleeping in this boat? And I'll tell you why. Because he came to take the sin of all Jonah's. He came to take my rebellion and your rebellion and to identify with it, to absorb it, and to remove it. He came to turn our rebellion into reconciliation through his person and his work. Why? Because he loves us. You see, you and I were meant to be in the presence of God. That is the most powerful thing that you and I could have. 
And so disciples who rest in the promises of God can find courage for the problems of life because God is powerful over the storm, because God has a plan for the storm, and because God is present with you in the storm through Jesus Christ. And so what should we do this week? Well, there's, there's two specific things I want to tell you. Number one, rest in the person of Jesus Christ. If you don't have Jesus Christ, man, let me be an evangelist. Let me be Billy Graham to you today and say, come to Jesus. Jesus died for your sins. He defeated death. And all he calls you to do is to believe in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you don't have Jesus in your life, believe in him. So rest in the person of Jesus. But for the rest of us, rest in the promises of the word of God. Go find him. What's your storm? There is a promise in this book that deals with your storm. And you go find it and you stand on it. Here's what you'll find. Every time you read a promise, there's usually a principle right by it. There's usually a principle right by it. Let me give you a quick example. Philippians chapter 4 is a great promise. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's the promise that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind, will make sure you don't lose courage or confidence. But the principle is pray about your anxieties. Make supplication. Give your anxieties to to God. Have a conversation with God. Even if it's an angry conversation, talk to him about it. That's what David did in the book of Psalms. I was reading reading last night in Psalm 31, verse 5, where it says, where David says, the course of my life is in your power. The course of my life is in your power. That's Psalm 31 and verse 5. Rest in those promises. Disciples who rest in the promises of God find courage for the problems of life. And God is powerful. He's got a plan and he's present. And God's vision for our life, and this is the vision of the kingdom. God's vision is not smooth sailing. His vision is a safe landing. His vision is not that this world's going to always go our way, but his vision is he's going to bring his kingdom our way and prepare it for us. He will get you home. He will get you to the other side as we rest in his promises. Let's pray. 